0: So, open up your Bibles. We are still working through the Sermon on the Mount. And um, really, I've been very um, uh, stressed, uh, not stressed, I've been stretched as we've gone through these passages for myself personally. I've found them to be very challenging and um, getting on some parts of my heart that I just didn't see it happening, if you know what I mean. And so, today, um, and especially today's, is especially um, problematic for me for someone who's up front every single Sunday, all right? You know, so let's read it and see what the Lord has to say to us about it and see what He's going to do in our own hearts because praise God He's not working on the same thing in all of us. That means, you know, perhaps, you know, He might be working on something in me that He would not be working in Todd's heart, you know, but he, He's able in His own supernatural ability to take this passage and apply it to our hearts in exactly the way we need it, how, even though how different that is for all of us. So, Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4, reading from the New American Standard. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. When therefore you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have been the reward in full. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, but that your alms may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will repay you. And then I want to read it from the J.B. Phillips translation. He only did New New Testament work, and and his work is really good and insightful. So reading from J.B. Phillips translation, the same passage. Beware of doing your good deeds conspicuously to catch men's eyes, or you'll miss the reward of your heavenly Father. So when you do good to other people, don't hire a trumpeter to go in front of you like those play actors in the synagogues and streets who make sure that men admire them. Believe me, they have all the reward they will ever going to get. No, when you give to charity, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Your Father who knows all secrets will reward you. So chapter chapter 6 verses 1 through 8 is dealing with three great um, primary worships um, attitudes and, and sacraments, so to speak, religious life um, in, Jew, in the Jewish culture. the three pillars. You know, almsgiving, verses 1 through 4, and um, prayer, the next passage is through 14, through 14, and then it moves into Fasting. And verses 16 through 18, I'm absolutely disqualified to preach on fasting. I'm not sure what we're going to do when we get there. We might figure it all out together, you know. I might re- reference something for you to read about from somebody who knows something about fasting, has actually practiced it successfully in their life, all right. So, but he's attacking, he's, he's teaching on all these things. And in each one, he's teaching about them because of the motives of the heart. And, and so, pay attention to what's happening here, is that we're going all the way back to chapter 5, verse 1. And every single time we've had this section of Scripture and we've looked at it, they've all been after the heart, haven't they? They've all, been, they've all pointed to a behavior, perhaps an external thing, murder. But he goes on, he goes, hate. He talks about adultery. He goes on, he goes, lust. And now he's talking about giving alms. And he's, and he, and he's really not talking about that our behavior as he is talking about the motive behind it. And so he's continuing, continuing to till up the soil, farmer Doug, till up the soil, you know, as he's working to get something new in there and root out all the old. So helping the poor, giving alms, um, as it is called in our text today, is an established practice throughout Jewish culture, beginning all the way back to the law with Moses. In Deuteronomy 15, it says, you shall generously give to him. This is Deuteronomy 15, verses 10 through 11, for those of you who want the references. You shall generously give to him And your heart shall not be grieved when you do it, because for this thing the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall freely give your, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy, and to the poor in your land. Now, also you can remember if you go back to the book of Ruth. And then what did Ruth do? She was destitute. It was her and Naomi. They had no means of supporting themselves. And so what did they do? She went out and she worked the corners of the field. It was was part of the Jewish law that when you sowed, when you reaped your field, you didn't reap the corners. And the corners were left for those in need to come and pull food for themselves from it. It was kind of a social security system, so to speak. Um, as a food bank out there in the, a, a really true food bank, wouldn't it? You know, right out there in the field. And so this very much existed in Jewish culture and it's very much built into Jewish culture. Even so much all the way when I was, I spoke to Larry Newman about this and he told me that um, when you went, to, when he was going to Hebrew school as a child, um, granted that was probably about 100 years ago, I'm not sure. Um, but even then, the giving of, and I'm going to say this wrong, Sedeca, um, And that's the word for charity, the Hebrew word for charity, the concept for charity, was still common. So when he went to Hebrew school, he always went, on those three days a week when he went, he would always went and he put money in the Zedekah box. And that box was intended to help the poor. And so this concept is something that was very much built into Jewish life, Jewish culture, Jewish... I mean, it was not uncommon. And so you'll notice in here, it is expected... It's assumed that they give. There's nothing in here that talks about, you know, you ought to give. It's working with the assumption that everyone gives. As a matter of fact, you when you think about it, and we're going to touch on this again later in the sermon. But when you think about it, um, it even in when it, Jesus talks about the widow's might, you know, even the widow who had nothing really at all, she gave. And so you see that giving was not something that they were talking about you should do. Giving was something they assumed that everyone was doing. And so the the topic or the issue at hand was not whether or not you're doing it. The topic was why you do it. So. Notice the point Jesus is making in verse 1 here. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. He, he positions um, getting attention in this world for giving alms against getting a reward in heaven. He says, if you do this, and he, and he attaches these two things, does he not? So we can, we can say we can learn three things immediately from this, from this passage. One is that there are rewards in heaven. Um, rewards are going to be given in heaven. It says it right there. Number two, giving alms was the way of getting heavenly rewards. And then number three, giving alms in order to get attention from men or from others in this life negates rewards in the next. And so you, th- you see, that's why the widow's mite is a very interesting story. It's that it's not how much one gives, it's the heart that it's given with. You know, Christ there in that passage um, where he, in Matthew 12, where he, he highlights her giving, he highlights her giving because she gave sacrificially. That's an issue of the heart. Versus, he talked about the Pharisees and the rich who gave out of their excess. And so it's like, you know, they, they had money left over. It was not going to hurt them to give. It wasn't going to be a sacrifice for them to give. And that's a heart issue. And so that's what he's after here. And so, it would appear that the issues here really are the motive and the reward. The, the why I give the way I do, and what is my reward for doing that? Think back to any movie that has ever featured a Roman emperor in it. You know, um, Gladiator, Russell Crowe a few years ago. Um, for those of you who are really old Spartacus and Ben-Hur. Oh, there's a new Ben Hur in there. Anyway, let's go with the old Ben Hur. It was better. So let's think about those old movies with the Romans in it. And time the emperor entered the Colosseum, anytime the emperor came into the scene, you know, and they played those horns and they blared, what was the purpose of that? The purpose of it was the emperor is here. Stop what you're doing. Pay attention to him. All eyes on him. So when you, you read here in this passage, he goes, Don't play a loud trumpet when you when you give he's kind of saying that it's like don't act like you're somebody important don't act like you know don't try and draw all the attention in the room to yourself when you do this so it wasn't to, it was it was that he he's he's saying you don't give in such a way that you draw that attention to yourself but not only that he says that those who do are hypocrites And that term hypocrite is a Greek term for, literally, it's a Greek term for actor. One who wears a mask. Especially in Greek theater or Greek, like, you know, only men were in the plays or in the theater. And so the only way a Greek male could portray a woman in a play was to put on a mask to appear as someone who he wasn't. But that would be true for even playing an, an, an act, another character, even a male character in it. He would put on a mask. He would portray someone he wasn't. And so he said, he's saying here that those who give to get attention are just like an actor who's trying to appear like something they're not. You know, and so you have to say, well, then what were they trying to appear to be? What were they wanting people to believe about them? Well, you know, they would want people to believe they were religious, super religious, right? They want people to believe they're super righteous. Because um, some translations will say this in in, in verse 1. I think they all do, I believe. Maybe not. But most translations say in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness. And so, and that's even part of the the terminology for alms and giving and charity in Jewish culture. And he says, so those who do this and draw attention to themselves are trying to appear righteous. Well, we know that what makes us righteous is Jesus. What they believed was that their deeds, their good works, and the attention of others that established that righteousness that they were looking for. They, were, they wanted to be pleasing to God, even, I think. They wanted the applause of men, and they got it, didn't they? But that would be, as he says, the full measure of the reward. That would be all they would get for their generosity. Now, consider this. When we give to the poor, or to someone who has need, and if the recipient of our gift knows we gave the donation, they know it was us, in the best case scenario, that person would say thank you. They would tell you how meaningful it was. They would tell you that it paid the, 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 the mortgage. It would tell you that they paid the car payment. It would tell you that they put food on the table. There would be tears. They might hug you if it was COVID appropriate, you know. And, and you would feel good about that, wouldn't you? You would feel like you made a difference in that person's life. And there would be a sense of satisfaction about helping that person. And basically, it would be that you would feel good about yourself. The trumpet's blown. All the eyes are on us. All the attention is on us. All the attention's on me because I did this for this person. And people make a big deal out of how generous we are. They'd they'd put... My name on the outside of the building. They'd start a scholarship fund for me because I did these good things. In other words, people would stare at me. People would thank me. People would talk about me. People would think I was special and great. And Christ says, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. In other words, If you did it all in public, then all that stuff you got back, that's your reward. He says in here, verse 2, that, you know, you have the reward. Reward, one of the the terms, one of the definitions of reward is is pay. It's you're getting something for something. You know, for dues, for, for work paid or something. And the best way I can say to think of this is that when the motive for giving is to get the admiration of men, then your reward, your wages for that that you earned is the admiration of men. That's it. No more. And consider how fleeting the admiration of men is. Many celebrities often become nothing more than a name as time passes by. People stop paying top dollars to hear them sing, to watch them dance, to watch them catch a ball. And this is not true universally, but many younger people don't know. <laughs> this, to catch this and make this into context relevant here, you know, many young people have no idea who Neil Young is. And so, what does it matter if he's mad and taking his music off Spotify? He's just a name I've never heard of. That's what a lot of a lot of young people are saying. Niels Lofgren, who was he? Well, he stood behind he stood behind Bruce Springsteen. And so, you know, I can remember as a teenager, like going. Why is it that Bob Hope is such a big deal? What did he ever do? And there's probably a few people in here who can remember Bob Hope doing things, but most of us don't. Their, Their fame had dwindled. And with the Olympics taking place right now, the same thing is true of athletes. They were considered the greatest in the world at one moment. Only become really unimportant names in the future. Jerry West... Mark Spitz, Wilma Rudolph, Carl Lewis, and to many people, those are just names. And yet, in their day and time, they were all that people talked about in the context of athletes and the Olympics. The applause of men and women eventually faded to silence, and in many cases, ignorance took over, took the place of fame. And all this attention from him is contrasted to the attention of God of our heavenly father. Read verses 3 and 4. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your alms may be in secret, and your father who sees in secret will repay you. This whole thing about right hand and left hand, it's it's gotten stretched a lot and and, and there'll be there are people who whom who have extrapolated it to have a meaning and a significance that I think is not intended. I think the gist of it is like, when, when you do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing, you're conducting your affairs between yourself and God and unknown to anybody else. That's really the gist of it. You know, it's, it's, it's not a privacy issue that goes beyond all that. It's like when that the point is, is that what I'm doing here is really between God and I. And that, granted, sometimes, you know, your generosity is not strictly private, but still it's the motive that is the issue. And so he says here, the, the gist of it is in, this verse, in verse 3 about, you know, about your right hand and your left hand. It's just that your, your affairs are between you and God. And so giving in secret prevents me basically from wondering how many thumbs up I get, you know, from watching to see how many comments I get. You know, that's the, in the, the online Facebook kind of uh, Insta world and all that. Um, it's, it's giving in secret <clears throat> prevents me from looking around and looking for the reaction of others. If others know, if others know what I give, then I'm motivated to give certain amounts, to give certain ways, to impress them and to make them like me or to make them think that I'm something maybe I'm not or make them think that I'm more than I am. And so you can imagine, you know, when you sit in the same row every week and the people who sit next to you sit in the same row every week, and let's just say we passed a plate. And you sit in that row every week and every week you put in your offering, but the people next to you never put in an offering. What is your heart going to do? And if you tell me think nothing, then you know you are something special. But I don't think that many of us are that special. I think that when we were, to, if we were to see that those people next to me never gave, you'd be like going, they never give. Did you notice that Hazel sitting over your fried chicken at lunch? Did you notice that? They never put a thing in that offering plate. You well, you know what? They ought to put up their own chair. How are they going to get heated in their room, you know? They don't ever put a thing to this. We're we're paying for all of that stuff. We put in our offering every week. Can you just see it? Because that's what we do. That's how we are. And if we're not that way, it usually is only a suggestion. A little bit of gossip before we become that way. And so that's kind of the issue about, why, about doing things in front of others in such a way that people notice. Andrew Murray said that when a man gives, the world still asks, what does he give? And Christ asks, how does he give? It's the heart. It's the motive. And note Jesus condemns the motive um, and not the deed. You know, he never he never says, if you don't do it for the right motive, just stop. He doesn't say that here. He says that he doesn't condemn the deed at all. He condemns the motive there. And also the other thing too is that that any time that we give to you know to someone who's in need. And if my motive is so that, you know, is 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 so that you know Matt will see me do it. And I make sure I catch his eye when I do it. So he sees me doing it. I'm going, that me? Yeah. Like that. That money that went to that poor person still benefited that poor person. The gift still accomplished its purpose for that person. But I lost the benefit of it. I lost the benefit of it. And like we said in the beginning... We have to see that Jesus is still after issues of the heart. And I think in this case, Jesus is testing where our heart lies, where our loyalty lies, where our citizenship is. Are we seeking his kingdom or ours? Are we seeking his fame or ours? Are we trying to build up our reputation or his reputation? And that's what he's after. Are we attached to this world or the next world? Are we loyal to this world? Are we loyal to the things of this world? Do we, do we crave the things of this world? Or is it the next world that we crave, that we're loyal to, that we want to invest in? Where are we investing our efforts, our desires, our passion? What has captured our hearts and our imagination? And Peter, in his first letter, um, chapter 1, verse 4, he speaks of all that waits on us in heaven as being imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away. Now, let's pause here and just say, so then, this has been talked about in the context of giving alms. But think about this in your context Um, Carl could tell us what the number is, but the vast majority of all of our alms here comes through your bank account, right? It comes through online giving. You know, you punched a button, or you did this thing online, your bank sent a check. So the vast majority of all our giving happens that way. So that's really not something that many of us have the opportunity to do in front of somebody else. But there are any vast number of other things that we can do that can draw attention to ourselves. Think about if you're a parent. I'm a dad, so let's, let's hang with dads for a minute. Think about if you're a dad. And so, for the entire weekend, you know, you got off work Friday, you came home all day Saturday, you know, you did not even glance at your children, did not smile at them, did not really interact with them. But when you hit the parking lot, you grabbed them by the hand, you smiled, come on, buddy! And then all the time you're in here, it's like, hey, I really love being a dad. Hey, I really love my children. Hey, I'm really involved in my children's life. What are you doing? You want people to think something about you that's not true. You're putting on a mask that's not really who you are. That's one example. How many other examples are there like that? For anybody who's ever up front on the stage, this is an issue. For anybody who's teaching, and whether it is little teeny tiny children or all the way up, you know, this is an issue. I need to say those things that people go, Oh, what insight. You need to say those things in such a way that people go, what a great speaker. You need to hit that note, people say, wow, what a voice. And then whatever it is, though, all of us, if you have an online presence, you're probably putting things up there, all of us, we are probably putting things up there in such a way that we want to get people's reaction. And just think about the things. Watch yourself as you do things. And watch what your heart tingles about as you do it. You know. Would you walk the little old lady across the street if there weren't people there to watch you do it? Or would you tell her, good luck, and go on about your way? You know, you know your scenario. You know your life. You know the kind of things in your context, in your workplace, that can, you can do to draw attention to yourself. And really, what's happening when we do that is um, I'm, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I'm probably going to get ahead of myself. I'll, make, I'll figure it out. But what's happening when you do that is that what you've done is, is you've taken. Jesus, you, uh, I mean this is us, this is me, so I don't want this. I've taken Jesus off the throne of my heart and I put everyone else there. I've taken him and I've said, I am more interested in all of these people's approval of me than I am of yours. And because of that, I won't say things that will make them angry. Because of that, I won't say anything that's controversial. Because of that, I'll only talk about these things because I want their approval. That's my context. What's yours? And and that little thing about talking about the throne of your heart, well, that's that's kind of strange, isn't it? What are we talking about? Well, who sits on the throne? The king does. And what does the king do? The king has ultimate authority. The king says, you can't do this. You can't do this. Take off his head. Give them, you know, the king. I mean, he's, he's top dog. No one is above him. He has absolute authority about all things that happen in his kingdom. And when I place you as being the most important thing in my life and what you think, you're on the throne of my heart. You're telling me what's important. You're telling me what to say. You're telling me what to do. You're telling me where to go. Because you're on the throne of my heart. Your values, what's important to you, has replaced what's important to Christ. That's how this passage affects all of us. That's how this passage expands beyond giving alms. Let's um, touch on something that is usually controversial in this passage. Some people really struggle with the whole idea of rewards in heaven. They, they, they believe that that is too self-interest, that I am doing things to get something for myself as opposed to being altruistic and serving God with all my heart. But the problem with that, with that conclusion is that Jesus is the one who said that you get rewards. It wasn't me or the preacher you disagree with. It was Jesus that said it. And not only that, but he says it multiple times. I mean, many times. Matthew 19, 21. Go and sell your possessions and give to to the poor and you will have what? (coughs) Treasure in heaven. Rewards. You give to the poor, you get stuff in heaven. Randy Alcorn in this book, The um, Treasure Principle, and also in The Light of Eternity. Um, If you're interested in this whole issue on, on rewards and stuff, I really encourage you to pick up randy's book uh, in light of eternity there's another one too and the title escapes me but i know that scott has done a, a, a book study on it but i really encourage you to get his book in light of eternity and he summarizes the 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 all that waits for us in heaven some of us will reign with christ some of us will be in charge of many things there'll be leadership over cities Relative to the faithfulness of service here, there are different crowns you would get based on your service here. The rewards would be given to us for what we do based on our service here. For preserving, persevering under persecution, for showing compassion to the needy, for treating our enemies kindly. And so why would it be wrong to teach that we're going to be rewarded in heaven if the Bible teaches it as well? What would those rewards look like? I got no clue. I do not know if it's a treasure chest. And like some of us are going to get a teeny tiny little jewelry box treasure chest. And some of us are going to get a giant like, you know, Captain Jack Sparrow kind of treasure chest. I don't know. But he says it. And if he's going to do it, it is going to be something of great worth. And and it's going to be something of great value. And something greatly satisfying. So when we seek the reward and approval of men, we've, we, um, and we, we sacrifice that future treasure. So Jesus is challenging our loyalty, our motives, who's in charge of our life. What, what's in charge of our affections. And ultimately, when you really are ex- exploring this, if you dig deep enough, it will, you'll come to this place you're, you're going to go, this theme, this topic, this issue will go all the way to how I use my time, how I use my money, the people I spend time with, the things I read, the things I watch. You see, it's not just an issue of like money and giving it. It's an issue of the heart and its alliance. I mean, it's, it's loyalty and its devotion to Jesus. What Jesus is doing here in this Sermon on the Mount, chapters five and going forward here, he's taking these raw new recruits, these raw disciples of this new king and this new kingdom. And he is stripping away all of the loyalties, all of the things they hold dear, all of the things that they they have ever been taught, all the things that they believe, all of their faulty thinking, all of their assumptions. And he is stripping that away and saying, see where this leads. See where this has gotten you. Let me just tell you that there's a new set of values there's a new way of thinking there is a new way to believe and all of it revolves around me all of it revolves around me being on the throne of your heart and me being in charge and me getting all the attention and all the glory in your world and in the one to come So, let's close the prayer. Father, at first glance, we read this passage and it looks like it's something that maybe doesn't apply to us. It looks like it's kind of a peripheral topic, a peripheral subject. And yet, when we really pay attention to what you're saying, we find that it applies to our lives in so many different ways. Father, help us to be Truly sensitized to your purpose and your plan for this teaching. Help us to be sensitized to why we say what we do, why we do what we do. And ultimately, help us to really pay attention to who has control of our heart. Who has control over the things we say and do and why we do them. Help us to, I mean, it would be great if we could just do it in one fell swoop, but that's just not the way it happens. It's such a process. But help us to be truly attentive to our motives and ask you to sanctify them and purify them so that we find that you are on the throne of our heart consistently, day in and day out. So we find that you are the one that we want to please. It is your approval that we want to hear. It is you. It is hearing you say, well done, good and faithful servant, that we would strive for that And all we say, and all we do. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.